Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. And this morning we'll be looking at verses 11 through 16. We're now going to follow the Apostle as he moves from Malta to Rome. So we'll pick it up in verse 11 of Acts chapter 28. At the end of the three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. After he put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And there we sailed around and arrived at Regium. And a day later, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Pudioli. There we found some brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Apius and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. I want to kind of, before we start into this passage, just make a comment about the overall activity of Paul on Malta. And the thing that I think we can learn from that is that adversities are opportunities for ministry. Paul had just spent two years in incarceration in Caesarea. The ordeals of the ship journey, the shipwreck, the storm, all the adversities that he went through brought him to the island of Malta. And while he was there, he was there for three months, that the Lord opened up a phenomenal opportunity for him to do ministry, primarily in the ministry of healing, the gift of healing that he had. I think it was always a, obviously a part of God's providence that the adversaries of the storm and the shipwreck put them in a place where ministry was a tremendous opportunity. I think that's something we can learn in our life as well. That adversaries, adversities, are opportunities for ministry. Seasons of great loss can be opportunities of great gain if our focus is on Christ and on eternal realities. We see this also in Acts 16. When Paul and Silas were in Philippi and arrested, beaten with rods, struck with many blows, thrown into the inner prison, their feet in stocks, and yet, At midnight, they started a praise concert. They were singing hymns of praise to God. And through that, a great earthquake occurred, which led to the conversion of the Philippian jailer and his family. Adversities are opportunities for ministry. Later, when Paul is incarcerated in in, a in Rome, he's on his way to Rome now. When he gets there, he will communicate to the church at Philippi. 
And this is what he says about his adversities in Rome. He says, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the Gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the Word of God without fear. So even though he was incarcerated for two years in Rome, that adversity was an opportunity for ministry. He shared the Gospel with the Praetorian Guard. He shared the Gospel in such a way that the church there at Rome was emboldened to do the same. And amazingly, that through his ministry, even some of Caesar's household came to faith in Christ. So that seasons of adversities must be viewed by God's people under the providence of God as opportunities for ministry. If you just look at the difficulties of the adversities, then all we'll do is be dragged down. But adversities are opportunities for ministry. So I think in your own adversities, in my adversities, we need to look at them from a different perspective. Because there is an opportunity for you there to bear witness for Christ. In your adversity, whatever it is, there is an opportunity for you to bear witness to the people around you, to your family, your friends, co-workers, strangers. And instead of focusing on what we might lose in our adversities, consider what others might gain through your ministry and your witness. We're always to be seeking first the kingdom of God at all times. Well, at this time, Paul is in Malta. He's going to get on an Alexandrian ship, another grain ship, just like the one that sank. Uh, they were there for three months. And this particular uh, ship, we're told uh, in verse 11, had the figurehead of the twin brothers on the front of the ship. The twin brothers referred to Castor and Pollux, the twin sons of Leda and Zeus. And they were supposed to protect sailors. So they would mount and carve this on the front of the ship, thinking that it would protect them. So it's kind of interesting how Luke includes some of these details. First place they went to was Syracuse, a beautiful port city. It rivaled Athens among the ancient Greek cities. It's interesting at Syracuse is where the the story of the sword of Damocles actually took place. That's when uh, Damocles, who was one of the courtiers of King Dionysius, was always boasting and proclaiming how happy the king was. Well, the king was not so happy, Dionysius. He wore a shirt of mail under his clothing. He changed his room every night because he was fearful that someone would try to kill him. He never went to a barber. 
because he was afraid they might slit his throat with the razor. And he actually had his daughters singe his beard regularly. That's the haircut that he got. He was not such a happy man. So he wanted to show Damocles the reality, the precariousness of his situation. So he had a banquet, put Damocles in a seat, hung a sword right over his head, held up by a single hair. And that whole story occurred, of course, at Syracuse. Archimedes, the great mathematician, 3rd century B.C., also lived at Syracuse. They weren't there for long, so I doubt that Paul had much to do there. And then they sailed to Regium. They were there for one uh, day. Then they caught a good south wind, sailed all the way up to Puteoli. And they were able to seek out some brethren there. We're told that they stayed there for seven days. And this uh, certainly shows the kindness of the centurion and the soldiers that were guarding Paul to allow him to stay with believers for that length of time. Here's a Puteoli. It was a great harbor. It was a main harbor for Rome, even though it was about 140 miles south of Rome. It was still the main harbor for ships. You can see in the picture Mount Vesuvius. About 19 years later after Paul arrives there, that will erupt and it will bury Pompeii and Herculaneum, another town under the volcanic ash and all the stuff that blows in. That's where this occurs. So he's there for seven days. It's a beautiful port. Um, Paul may have had some liberty and freedom. Don't know how much he was able to get around the city. But uh, had he had the opportunity, he may have gone to this market uh, probably to share the gospel if he had the opportunity, if he was allowed to do that. There was a great amphitheater there also that was the third largest in the Roman Empire. And uh, gladiators fought here. They would kill wild animals, bears, lions, bulls. Archers would sit along the wall to shoot the animals if they tried to escape and eat or kill any of the uh, people there watching. But it was a tremendous amphitheater. You can see all the grating. Uh, they would bring up animals out, out from underneath the floor. So there was a great open area underneath that they kept the animals and they'd raise them up to the to the floor of the uh, amphitheater when they were being fought. From there, uh, Paul and those traveling with him would walk the rest of the way to Rome. And uh, they would walk on the um, Appian Way, as we call it. It was about a 140-mile walk from there to the city of Rome. One of the, you can kind of see that uh, this road is still visible today. Um, this is what it looked like when Paul walked on it. Stones that were a foot and a half to two feet thick. And they walked on it. And this uh, south of Rome, Paul, as he was walking on the, the Appian Way, would have passed this uh, tower. This is actually a mausoleum dedicated to 
a uh, rich, powerful woman named Cecilia who uh, built this around 50 B.C. It was built for her mausoleum. That's probably where she was buried. But Paul would have walked right past this. He would have seen it. He would have gazed upon it. So it's just kind of interesting to visualize Paul's traveling to Rome. So on his way from Pudioli to Rome, this is where he meets believers from Rome. And they travel down from Rome and they meet him at the Market of Apius, which is 40 miles south of Rome. And then the three ends, which is 30 miles south. So these brethren now show up and they really have a phenomenal ministry with the Apostle Paul. We're told in verse 15 that they met... Uh, they met the brethren uh, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Apius and three ends to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. The word for meet is a word that implies that they came out and usually it was used to meet um, some dignitary coming into the city. And uh, the custom would be for an entourage, a group of people, to go out and meet him somewhere on the road, greet him, welcome him, and then usher him back into the city. So they come out and they do that to the Apostle Paul. Paul uh, saw Rome as a strategic place for ministry. It was the capital city of the empire. There needed to be a strong gospel witness there. And Paul expressed his desire to visit Rome all the way back in Acts 19 when he was at Ephesus. He purposed in his heart to go to Rome. And then later on in Acts chapter 23 when he's at Corinth, God tells him, you're going to witness for me at Rome. So he knows he's going to make it there. And he had faith that God was there. So he he always wanted to go to Rome. And God is now fulfilling that. Notice in Romans 1, which he wrote this letter to the church at Rome back when he was in Corinth on his third missionary journey. But he speaks of his unceasing prayers for them and how he wanted so much to to succeed in coming to them. He longed to see them that he might impart some spiritual gift to them and establish them more in the faith. So Paul's desire in going to Rome was to encourage them and strengthen them. What's interesting is that he didn't think he would go there the way that he ended up having to go. He obviously thought that he would go to Jerusalem and then from there leave as a free man and go to Rome. But that's not the way God planned it for him. Uh, Instead, what we find out is that he would be arrested in Jerusalem. He would be beaten in Jerusalem. He would go through all the series of trials and struggles that we've been studying over the last few months. And that as a prisoner, he would end up in Rome. Not the way he planned it. So when all of these brethren came from Rome to those 
met him in those two cities. We find in verse 15 that he thanked God and took courage. He thanked God. When he saw those brethren from Rome, his heart overflowed in thanksgiving to God. Now, I don't know, it just kind of struck me as I was reading that. Are you the kind of believer that people thank God when they see you coming or when they see you going? He thanked God when He saw them coming. And they encouraged Him. It says He took, he took courage. The word for courage is an interesting word. But the thanksgiving and courage were part of the ministry that they had with Paul. The kind of believer that you thank God for is a kind of believer that when you see them coming, you know they're not going to be self-centered. They're not going to be talking about themselves. They're going to be Christ-centered and they're going to be other-centered. These are the kinds of believers that when you see them, you thank God for them. Because they're going to be there ministering to you. They're going to be what they speak and share from the Word or from their relationship with Christ. They, they care about you. You know they care about you. Those are the believers you thank God for. The encouragement that they gave, uh, the word courage is used in the Septuagint. And it's used to give people courage in times of distress. Again, Paul's desire was to go there to strengthen the church and be a blessing to them, to encourage them. They end up encouraging him instead. After two years in prison, suffering through another shipwreck, arriving in chains, Paul was a man who had his own fears. He had his own anxieties. And he really didn't know what waited for him in Rome. He knew that God had told him he was going to go and bear witness, but then what would happen after that? He didn't know. He knew he'd have an audience with Caesar. He looked forward to sharing the Gospel, defending the Christian faith before Caesar. But he really wasn't giving any promise from God as to what would happen after that. Would Caesar set him free? Or would Caesar have him executed? He really didn't know. So he's on his way to Rome. He meets all these believers that have come from Rome. And not only does he thank God for them, but he also took courage. He took courage because like us, he was a man with a nature like ours. He was a man who probably dreaded in many ways going to Rome. Though he wanted to go, yet he was going as a prisoner. So how did they give him courage? How did these brethren strengthen him and encourage him? Well, I think mainly by showing that they went the extra mile, they went out of their way to actually travel down to those two cities to meet him in advance. Probably when he arrived in Puteoli, someone sent a message to the church at Rome saying Paul is on his way. And they decided that Paul is coming. Let's go meet him. 
And so they walked at 30, 40 miles so that when Paul arrived from Pudioli, they could see him, show their love for him, show they cared for him. And that gave him courage. I think Paul saw their faith in Christ. He probably heard them say, Paul, we got your letter that you wrote us a couple of years ago. Man, what a letter. We're still reading and studying that thing. And do we have questions? We've got a ton of questions. And here's Paul himself now showing up. That would have encouraged him. That would have given him courage. I think they probably would have communicated to him that they were praying for him. That they would help him financially in any way they could. And it's interesting, if you drop down to verse 30, it says that he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters. Well now, who paid for those rented quarters? The church did. They were the ones who were providing the food that he needed to eat. They were the ones probably paying for the rental of those of that apartment or whatever it was he had. And all of this was communicated to the Apostle Paul by these brethren who loved him and cared for him. And that gave him courage in the face of an unknown future. The faith and love they had for Christ, I think, bolstered his own courage to give a good witness before Caesar. So his original plan that he spelled out in his letter to them was, I want to come and encourage you. I want to come and establish you. And yet when he first met them, they were the ones who encouraged him. I had this uh, experience in seminary. When I was a young seminary student involved in local church, I had the conviction that I needed to do hospital visitation. So I called up the church secretary and asked of the church I was attending and asked them if they had any people that were in the hospital so I could go visit them. I was probably 23. They said, well, we do have a a lady and she's um, undergoing cancer treatments in the hospital. So I got the name of the hospital, the room, So I drove down to the hospital and I'm going to go and minister to her. And I'm a seminary student as green as they come. And I walk in there and I ask her if I could read the Scriptures with her, if I could pray with her. My heart was sincere. I wanted to minister to her. I wanted to encourage her. She graciously wanted me to do that. And I did it. And as green as I was, young in my faith, with the desire to go strengthen another brethren, it was I that got encouraged. It was I that got blessed far more than she did. What I saw in this woman lying in her bed, no hair on her head, going through cancer treatments, was a joy and a peace in Jesus Christ that really kind of shocked me. 
Here was a lady who had suffered much. And I read again, read the Scriptures, prayed for her. And then I just visited with her. And just the countenance that I could see, here is a woman who knew God and she walked with God in the midst of her afflictions. That lady again ministered to me far more than I did to her. I was young and healthy. She was old and sick. And yet her walk with the Lord far surpassed mine. And like Paul, I went to strengthen her and end up being strengthened and encouraged myself. The following week, I went back again, did the same thing. I was the one that was blessed. Going back the following week, called the uh, lady at the church office, make sure she was still there. Found out she had already gone to be with the Lord. I think what the Lord does in times like that is He just provides ways to encourage His people in ways that we never expect. And I think with the Apostle Paul full of all of the dread and anxiety and probably fear of going to Rome, maybe being put to death there at Rome, and yet these brethren came down and they were such a blessing to that he took courage. That's the kind of fellowship that blesses people. The kind of fellowship that's able to strengthen the wobbly knees. It's able to increase our faith to trust in God in times of difficulty. That was a blessing they were to the Apostle Paul. I think from, from all of this, what we see certainly by way of a lesson, is that we should not be discouraged by trials that God has ordained for us on our journey. God had promised to get Paul to Rome, and God was 100% faithful to get him to Rome. It was not the way, again, Paul expected, but it was the way that God planned. Paul planned to go to Jerusalem, then leave for Rome, spend some time in Rome, then have the church at Rome launch him to go to Spain. He had it all planned out. But our ways are oftentimes not God's ways. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So Paul didn't anticipate going to Rome that way. Instead, he was arrested, beaten, tried, imprisoned in Caesarea, threatened with assassination by the Jews, nearly killed by the soldiers on the ship, nearly drowned in the sea, bitten by a viper, should have died except for God's supernatural healing grace. Yet God's providence ordered each and every trial to be overcome so that God's promise to get Paul to Rome would be fulfilled. Every trial, every affliction, every difficulty that you face will not thwart God's plan to get you where He wants you to be. And I think we can draw courage from that. That God is faithful to accomplish His plan for His people in spite of the opposition. 
John Stott in his commentary reminds us that Satan has often tried to thwart God's saving purpose for the church through Christ. He tried through Pharaoh to drown the baby Moses, through Haman to annihilate the Jews, through Herod the Great to destroy the infant Jesus in Bethlehem, and through the Sanhedrin to stifle the apostolic witness and smother the church at its birth. And now through the storm of the sea, he attempted to stop Paul bringing his gospel to the capital of the world. But all of Satan's devices were overthrown by God because God's promises are always true. And He's always faithful to His promises. Now that doesn't mean that Paul had an easy way to Rome. He suffered affliction after affliction after affliction. But God promised to get him to Rome. And God fulfilled that promise. I think, well, again, the point, the lesson, is don't be discouraged by your trials in life. God has a plan and God has a destination for you. And nothing will stop God from getting you to the place that He has ordained for you to be. God is faithful. So the the lesson for us is that in our life there may be bumps along the way, some prison time, storms, shipwrecks, snake bites, but God is going to be faithful to you. God is going to get you exactly where His providential purpose and plan has ordained for you to be. And there is nothing in this universe that's going to stop God from accomplishing His plan and His purpose in your life. Our life can be full of chaos and trials, circumstantial defeats, But no matter what seems to be the detours of life, the derailments that we experience, the disasters that comes our way, we will all arrive where God wants us to be. And of course, where is our final destination? It's heaven, right? And the same is true of that for us. Here we're looking at God getting Paul from Jerusalem to Rome. And God has a similar plan for your life. But ultimately, our destination is going to be with Him in heaven. So I love 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain what? This is your destination ultimately. An inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled will not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Christ sustains us and He guarantees our faith and our future glory. Because God had a plan. And just like with Paul, he had to go through all these trials, all these afflictions, all these circumstances. And yet God was faithful to get him to Rome. 
And that's the thing I think for us to, to cling to today. Because in all of our experiences of life, we're going to have the ups and downs. And we're going to sometimes wonder, God, are you really faithful to your word? God, are you really going to get me where you want me to be? And he will. He did that with Paul. He will do it with you. And let this encourage us. Because we don't know what the future holds. Even in America, with all that's going on in our country and all the changes, which will probably be pretty radical, with all that's going on in our own country, we don't know what the future holds. But we know who holds the future, right? And it's not the people in Washington, D.C. It's not you. It is God. And though we don't know the future, God holds the future. And God is always faithful to His promises and He's always faithful to His people. And that's what I think we need to take away from this. God was faithful to get Paul from where he started out to where God wanted him to be in Rome. Now, we don't know what happens after that. But God was faithful to His promise. And God will always be faithful to the promises He gives to you. And God will always be faithful to you as His child. As He was with Paul, so He will be with us. And may that encourage our hearts to trust God for the future when we don't understand it and we don't know what it is. We can trust God. Because He is faithful to us always. Well, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You that as we see the providential hand of our great God guiding the Apostle Paul through many difficult trials of life, and yet, Lord, when he came to Pudioli and started walking that 140 miles to the city of Rome, he met those dear, precious believers who encouraged him, who shared their faith with him, expressed their love and concern for him, who probably in so many ways just imparted courage to him as he saw their faith, their love, their commitment to Christ, their love of the Word, their interest in doing whatever they could to serve Him, he was encouraged by the brethren. So Lord, may our fellowship be equally blessed that we might love one another and care for one another. That those who are struggling those who are weak, those who are beaten down, might be strengthened, might be encouraged to trust God and to know that you're always faithful. And as you brought Paul to Rome, as you said you would, Lord, we see again the faithfulness to your promises and we see your faithfulness to the Apostle Paul. He went through a lot, a lot of suffering a lot of difficulty. But Lord, that was a part of Your providential plan. And Your promise to Paul came true exactly 
as You gave it to Him. And thank You, Lord, that in our journeys, we may have equally uh, our own share of the trials and afflictions and storms and snake bites. But Lord, we can trust that Your Word is faithful. Your promises are always faithful. And that You are always faithful to us. And may that encourage us because we don't know the future, but we know who holds the future in His hands. And we give Him and You praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.